Have we got a show for you? I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I'm Strangely, and this is the podcast. The friends will be along in a moment. This is a very special episode this week. I am so excited about getting to share this with all of you folks. Last week, we had Jory on as a guest. I hope you folks enjoyed that. And this week, we have Trevor, a.k.a. Clownfish. So instead of me doing all my usual segments this week, what I've actually done is I've put Trevor's entire show into this podcast so you can hear the whole show. I often listen to podcasts and things where artists are talking in depth about their work. You know, maybe they just had a movie come out or something like that. And we don't really, you know, fully get to appreciate what they're talking about because either the movie hasn't come out yet or it's a difficult to find piece of work or it's a live stage production in New York that's difficult to get to or whatever. So I actually invited Trevor to come and do their show here in my studio and had a few people come and watch it. And then we recorded the audio of the whole thing. So enjoy this performance of Clownfish and stick around afterwards when Trevor and I sit down to talk about the show and art and life and all those things. But for now, sit back and enjoy Clownfish. You got rid of me. Thank you so much for doing that, Strangely. We normally have two mics, but instead there was one today, so we had to play it, Trixie. Left it in the car. All right, everybody ready for this? You had your hors d'oeuvres, you had your bubbly, you know, your cheese platter right here, and now it is time for the hot and juicy, for the smoking, for the cranberry sauce, the turkey dinner. Somebody's mom made it. It's Trevor Wade! Thanks, Mom. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jory. <laughs> this is so silly. Let's just jump into it, shall we? Yeah. It's grand. <laughs> Great. <laughs> thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, and those who refuse to pick a side, Phillips family, <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> I've only got an hour, which isn't much time, to try and answer this little question of mine. And by the way, yes, this whole part is going to rhyme. So sit back, relax, and strap in. And if that's not your thing, I'm not trying to fit a nap in. <laughs> or if not answer, at least give my query the old college try, to put it quite plainly. What am I? <laughs> the answer may seem simple from where you sit. I know there's a thing called male, and I sort of look like it. I resemble what you'd call a man. Well, boy. Well, I've never been mitzvahed because I'm a goy, but still I'm too old to be considered a boy, right? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but even though I'm getting older, I haven't earned the mantle of man on my shoulders. You know, aren't men supposed to be big and buff or at the very least tough with sweat-stained uh, smocks and greasy brows and sweat-stained smocks with rough hands and rock-hard other stuffs? <laughs> But <laughs> even with hands as soft as satin, a real man could plan a plan like General Patton. But like, if all of us were in a cave, 
I wouldn't be the one to save the day should the cavern roof collapse. I would leave it to real men to widen the gaps, to, to grunt and heft and lift the stone, or, or for another's life, exchange his own, to show the qualities masculine, grit his teeth, keep up his chin. Stoic? Solid? In control? <laughs> That's just not the way I rock and roll. I would more likely stand and gawk and be like, this is just like that time in Lost, season one, episode seven, The Moth. Or Charlie shouts, I'm a bloody rock god. And the rest of you, yes, just smile and nod. <laughs> but like the music from the spheres of my second favorite lyrical spears, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> Leastways, not at first glance. You can tell by my silhouette, if not my stance. Gender is a label, and labels are shortcuts we like to use. Clues we look for in a person's hair or their shoes. Uh, is this person a potential mate or an enemy at the proverbial gate? You know, a knife in the dark, an imminent threat, or the Romeo to your Juliet, or, better yet, someone who shares your epithets, someone with whom you can relate, because feeling not alone is pretty great, but if I display some of either's traits, am I then left to curse the sky, fall to my knees, and scream, but Seems to me a little bit melodramatic. Besides, if I already knew in the prologue, this show would be anticlimactic. So hang out here a spell with me while I suss out who I might be, and maybe you'll learn a thing or two about you. Seems like the proper thing to do. While there's air in my lungs, a.k.a. air I'm six feet underground, I may be so full of crap that my eyes are brown, but I have something to share with this wicked little town, so sit back while I stand up and break it down. I've learned that love was more than just holding hands and manufactured one-night stands, but I will table those tales for your sake. Tonight, not a tale I tell is foe or fake, so be you stranger's friend or foe. Here we go! Let's try and get this shit in one take. <laughs> Story time. So I just turned 18. I was on the verge, and I didn't want to still be a virgin. Nowadays, I know, being on the other side, virginity is nothing you need to hide, but try explaining that to me back then, when sex was what separated boys from men. I was drowning in this sinking shame, because movies, books, and drinking games maintain a girl's not clever if she can't say, never have I ever, but simultaneously mock the boys have yet to wet their whistles. It's a paradox, as you can see. Boys have to go on these sex odysseys and chase Circes who must stay chaste or face becoming an extracurricular disgrace because, for some reason, it's not viewed as a feminine trait to imitate Discovery Channel tapes on how the species mates or freely open up the gates for her own pleasure or for power. Instead, no, she must protect her precious flower. It's a no-win situation that, in my opinion, makes everyone's best bet masturbation. And to be honest, you should. It's good for your health. It's not gross. Speaking of health, my stepdad does this toast. Here's to you, here's to me, and if ever we should disagree, screw yourself, here's to me. <laughs> it's good advice, your hands feel nice, and I would know. Because in my late teens when I started college, I was uh, unspoiled by carnal knowledge. No one could you open that? <laughs> Though I will admit, not for lack of trying, I was always swooning and sighing. I never pinned poems to a random tree, but I did try to make girls run away with me by composing sonnets to lionize their eyes and lips, even though what I really wanted lies between their thighs and hips. I never wooed them. My likes went unrequited, but I didn't wallow when I got slighted. I got fairly good at bouncing back. I ought to have done. I got plenty of practice. Like this one time, I had a crush on this actress, and I gave her a dozen roses, and she gave me a cactus. <laughs> that one stung. Not a lot of room for a drummer. 
while weeping over the gift I'd bought her, I brought this cactus too much water, which caused it to rot from the inside out. So I killed a plant that outlives droughts by pouring on more than it was able to store, which is true, but also a metaphor. Now she, and girls I will not mention, would tolerate my romantic penchants, but none of them assumed the position just because I doled out boons and compositions and... By the by, I wasn't surprised that the girls I put up on this penthouse pedestal high-rise wanted nothing to do with me. As a kid, I wasn't handsome or burly. No one could accuse me of blooming early. I was just this chubby little dude. But while other teenagers would brood, I would shovel down food. So by 10 or 11, I had my own little boobs. (laughs) I don't blame my crushes for not feeling the same. I wasn't smoking. Just a marshmallow harbor in a flame. Nevertheless, I hated being on the receiving end when girls would say, no thanks, but we can still be friends. Again and again and again and again and again. And this is going to sound dumb, and it is, but wait, it gets even dumber. This was 2008, and some people who were quote-unquote straight swore up and down they had this ESP called Gaydar. Which meant they could tell like greyhounds from afar when boys would rather be found with other boys up in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. I I thought girl gaydar maybe pinged on me, which to me at the time kind of made sense. The blondes don't like me because I prefer gents, and they can tell with their sex sixth sense like little homophobic Haley Joel Osmits. (laughs) And I know everyone's at least a little bit queer. It's just that some are queerer. Uh, Remind me your name. Del. Del. When when this is your, your person... Yes. When you're, uh, you're about to go on a date, and I hope you still do, when you go on a date, do you, you know, check the mirror and be like, hi, dude, you're getting a Dell. <laughs> yeah? Uh, I don't have a mirror. <laughs> For the sake of the show, Dell? <laughs> yeah? That is hella gay. Yeah, yeah. See, you are your own gender. So, ipso facto YOLO, Dell, you would probably be okay doing something that's maybe a little gay. Like... <laughs> Holding hands in a devil's threesome, or getting a fist up your bum, <laughs> or finger, whatever. Start slow. But even if you don't follow that feeling to check and see, we can all admit we've got bisexual tendencies, especially your dad. <laughs> but with no proof to the contrary, no smoking gun or dead canary to say you are or are not absolutely gay, well, who was I to argue different? So, I thought, let us conduct an experiment. After all, I was in school, the time you're supposed to dip your toes in unfamiliar pools. Let's lift a page from Socrates and test these weird hypotheses. Find a boy, get him on his knees, and then halloo my new discoveries. (laughs) Or, better yet, I hope you don't mind if I tell ya, I figured I ought to fillet the fella. Because if some random dude went down on me, I might get credit toward my degree, but I wouldn't be sure if it was a bachelor I'd rather wed, or if I just liked the feeling of getting head. No, I had to be the one to go head-to-head, or mouth-to-head, real quick, and find out whether or not it made me sick. Yes, that ought to do the trick. Just got to get my hands on a nice, hard, but hold on. (laughs) Keep your pants on. I didn't know anyone who was gay, and even if I had, you know, what would I say? Del, I have something I need to check. Come here, it'll only take a sec. (laughs) Okay, self, point well taken, but we have to find somebody, and who? Time's a-wasting, and my generation wants instant gratification. Well, if it's thrift we need, the internet is our best bet for a swift yet titless tete-a-tete with a more sexperienced lad. Let us peruse the Craigslist person, lads. Ooh, strangely he's risked his life. (laughs) 
This is a website from back in the day, and it was bananas, B-A-N-A-N-S-A. And the Frontier Days, back before Grinder, this was the premier adult friend finder. There were people on there looking for everything that's gay or straight or in between. And, by the way, while I was online, did I stop and think to Google something like Bear Bangs Twink or find one of the plethora of other videos I could watch and see if they inspired twitching in my crotch? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I shouldn't need a private dick on the case to tell me that if I get nothing from a manly face, that probably ought to be my first clue. That's not something I'm really going to be into, but if I can't see the forest for the trees standing upright, maybe I can on my knees, because I didn't Google man-on-man -man porn before wrapping my lips around human horn. <laughs> That's a reference to a Futurama episode. Anyway, <laughs> I open incognito mode, and Wow! You know, despite girls never letting me go out with them, it was super easy to find an M for M. <laughs> like, too easy. It was like the Garden of Eden, only instead of being filled with fruits and snakes, it was filled with snakes and semen. I was overwhelmed, where once I was stranded, now I was captain at the helm of what you can think of as the Titanic. Because it was big and I was going to go down on it. There wasn't much back and forth, as I recall. I made some dumb joke like, the two of us could have a ball or two or maybe more at the school's library bathroom up on the sixth floor. I'm the first to admit that's pretty gross. But you have to consider, I couldn't host this randy rando in my dorm. It was too far from the norm, but I likewise wasn't going to go to the home of some stranger and put myself in very real danger. I was already risking plenty at this point. I wasn't even 20. I needed to find a neutral zone. I was out of my depths figuring this out on my own. And by the way, all of this already happened in the past, so relax. <laughs> Any well-meant groans or gasps do absolutely nothing for my ass. Literally. Still no drummer. And I knew this biblio toilet would be abandoned for this bookworm boy to become a man in because it happened to be my place of work. <laughs> I had a day job as a checkout clerk. Thus I knew not a soul would be at the bathroom by maps and cartography at the very witching time of night. Well, 11 p.m., the library closed at midnight. I took the elevator up and did my best to relax. It was time for either blue balls or brass tacks. Hopefully within the hour I'd leave with some facts. I made my way beyond the stacks and between the books and bathroom stall there was this like little hall. Like the kind you'd see in a sci-fi space station that's used for depressurization. Which is what it was, you know, in a sense. It's just instead of pressure I was losing, <laughs> it was innocence. He has, I crossed the tile under the tubes of fluorescence, trying to stay focused on the experiment's essence, the not knowing that had me by the shortened curlies. Would I rather be with boys or girlies? Now, he hasn't arrived yet, so I wait in the stall, which I can see over because I'm six and one-sixth feet tall, and this guy walks in. I can see the top of his head past the rim, and I figure, you know, this is probably him. <laughs> and if it's not, well, someone is in for a surprise. <laughs> I undo the thing, trying not to look him in the eyes, and then, without exchanging a word, I sink to my knees, and if you're coming with me on this one, you're coming all the way with me, <laughs> I, well, <laughs> get to work. <laughs> it's quite a bit different being eye-to-eye -eye with the, you know, the little guy. <laughs> but now that I'm looking at the thing he's got, there's no time for second thoughts, and I guess I was pretty good at taking dictation. <laughs> I couldn't ask, I couldn't go, <laughs> but um, there was a pretty solid indication. <laughs> Actually, it was more of a liquid. 
Yes. Dell. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> Look what I did. <laughs> I don't mean to brag. It's not that hard, although his was. But it's not difficult to make that dog wag. The penis is a simple creature with relatively few distinguishing features. You know, you don't need to memorize a tip or trick. You don't need to read instructions or a schematic. You just pump the primer handle to get the charge. You know it's working because it gets large. It stands at attention. Ten hut. <laughs> After that, the case is pretty much open and shut. You move your mouth back and forth as if it was his hand and pay attention to the glands. That's more or less it with a fleshy little battering ram. You just find its note and play it again, Sam. <laughs> It's more or less just push and pull, whereas with a vulva, you have to read the manual. <laughs> In order to make a woman come, which needs more often to be done, it's not as simple as with dudes. It's more like playing chess on a Rubik's Cube. You think you're mating, and then the whole thing shifts, so be prepared to be in this for the long grift. The act requires attention, requires skill. But just stick with it, and in good time, you will bring her to her full fruition, and I'ma help learn ya. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no tuition, except your attention, which must be paid if you are here to get a passing grade, and trust me, sweet baby, you absolutely should be. <laughs> Let us talk about the pussy. <laughs> now, down your legs, the undie slip, her legs, the undie slip, and outermost you'll find a pair of lips. Your experience may vary, there's no set laws, but like the wonderful Wizard of Oz, the real show is going on behind the curtain. So, spread them gently, and if all is groovy, dive in like it's the opening of a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> now, beyond this pair, there's another set, and we are barely getting started yet. Don't go near those until she's wet. They are more sensitive, so handle them with care. I suggest you just put your tongue there. <laughs> they are called the labia minora, and like a reading from the Torah, once it starts, we're going to be here for a while. <laughs> but it is worth it to make those lips curl in a smile. Not too soon, but after a bit, you'll want to move up toward the clit. It's protected by a little hood, like the KKK, except that this one is good. <laughs> you coax it out, and once it shows, that's the button you push to close and make her squeal and curl her toes, although some ladies don't like direct stimulation. Most important thing? Yes, communication. <laughs> if you're not sure what that, if that's what she's about with your nose by her gusset, suss it out. Ask her the things she needs and wants. That will accomplish more than nonchalance, because no two dames react the same, so always, always be on your game. I've known women who can't get off unless they're listening to Roxmaninoff, and ladies who only like getting laid when Mercury's in retrograde. Some who need to be on top to shout, but half the fun is sussing this stuff out. Oh, and provided that your hands are clean, a finger or two can slip in between. You curve the pad to face your face and feel around for a special place about two inches in. This is where the fun really begins. If she starts getting extra hot, congrats. You just found her G-spot. Oh, and if she says faster, make like Van McCoy and hustle because her pelvis is the hub of like eight different muscles. So when she does achieve orgasm, that figure eight's gonna contract and spasm, sending waves of pleasure through her whole being. It's a sight truly worth the seeing. Once you've got it, baby, flaunt it any freaking way she wants it. Give yourself over to the yonic. Love her taste like it's the dankest chronic. Lap it up like gin and tonic. Spell out letters like hooked on phonics to throw her into histrionics until she racks up O's like rings in Sonic. <laughs> Oh, and if you've done right, and all is zen, get ready, because she can go again. <laughs> so keep some beer or water within breach, take a deep breath, and once more into the breach. Don't think that the fun is at its end. It's like Dos Equis. Stay thirsty, my friend.
As for me, once all was done and said, I didn't wish that I was dead, and now I knew I was good at giving head. It didn't feel great, but I didn't feel like shit, so that was that. Except that that wasn't it. Because soon, I got back on Craigslist. I don't know, I thought the first one might have been a fluke. I didn't exactly have a control group. <laughs> Besides, it was nice not having sex alone, even if there was an excess of testosterone. I hadn't had a revelation, no new understanding of my station, no eureka moment or ululation. I was, if anything, more confused, and consequently let myself be used, but still, I kept on going back. I don't know, maybe there's something up with my Zodiac, or I suffer from, like, attention addiction. Or some equally esoteric ego affliction. <laughs> I haven't been 100% honest, see, and I'm sorry if this reeks of internalized misogyny, but there is another reason I thought I might have been gay. Goes all the way back to my sister's fourth birthday. See, as a gift, she got this my-sized Barbie doll, which stood right around three feet tall, and this one was a special edition for anybody who had watched a Disney flicks wishing they could look like Belle when she descends the stairs, all donned in gold with perfect hair, to waltz cross the ballroom for Walt's oldest time song. This doll had a gown that you could wear. Or your brother could, <laughs> if he so dared. Seemed to me like harmless fun to wear a costume just like Paige O'Hara while the girls put on lipsticks and mascara. Just a joke! A bloke in a frock! My sister giggled, so did her friends, but advance the clock, my dress-up days didn't end. Quite the opposite. By eighth grade, I found that I could fit into Sissy's jeans after P.E. while listening to Queen's I Want to Break Free. I also fit her training bras, though I thought it was a curse to have budding breasts like hers, which I tried to hide in extra-large t-shirts. I didn't feel like I had been blessed with a more developed chest, no. Blessed is not the word I'd used when I sunk my nails into the tissue and tried to pop them off like zits because little boys aren't supposed to have tits. Shit. This show just gets serious? No. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> but things weren't changing all of puberty, so I thought nature was saying irrefutably, you don't have hair upon your chinny-chin-chin because your glands are secreting estrogen, so keep it secret, keep it safe. Go ahead and skin that cosmopolitan. You're perfect. Also, here's ten ways to be more thin. <laughs> it was a terrifying time. In middle school, it might as well have been a crime to be anything alternative to have towels other than hers and his. I'd be better off just throwing that towel in. At the turn of the millennium, this one kid, Jesse Wickelman, came out as both gay and trans. And, well, back then, as I recall, kids in the hall would ask him, if you like boys anyway, why pretend to be a boy at all? Their derision skewed me toward a selfish decision. You don't want them to point and laugh? Distance yourself from Rommel one-half. Don't talk about your cross-dressing time, and it won't feel like crossing a picket line to get to class. If you can pass for normal, pass. So, because it was safer, I stopped being friends with somebody who was braver than I was back then. I tried to bury my transgression by saying, we just have different lessons, but shame of it still makes me wince. I haven't seen Jay Wickerman since. I ran away and hid in plain sight with drama kids rehearsing plays at night. Theater was the happy middle ground where many misfits could be found, and makeup was for everyone, and we could get naked and have some fun. Okay, I would get naked. <laughs> <laughs> and between the first read-through and final curtain, I met this girl named Megan, and I was certain we were meant to grow old on a common porch. My arm never gets tired of holding a torch. <laughs>
One day, I was up to my usual begging, trying to convince Megan to try pegging so we could make the two-backed beast at her father's house, and Megan told me to douse the flame of flickering in my heart. If I'm her friend, I ought to act the part. We were hanging at her place while she took a shower when some perverted part of me overpowered my more reasonable side to release a sort of beast inside, like a chubby adolescent Mr. Hyde. Quick and quiet as a mouse's, I snuck to where she kept her blouses and caught something out of the corner of my eye, which, were I a different guy, I'd have let lie, but take it, said pervert Mr. Hyde. I snatched the garment up and stuffed it inside my pack, then rehearsed a host of mental counterattacks, prepped repost should I be discovered by Megan or by one of my brothers. When I got back to my room, I locked the door and spilled what I'd pilfered on the floor. A single pair of briefs. I had become a panty thief. <laughs> Hold for applause. <laughs> they weren't even sexy lingerie. Thank you, Ben. Uh, they were just simple cotton, greenish gray. But to me, they were a kind of key to unlock something I couldn't see. It was just something about the way they felt against the spot below my belt. It wasn't sexual. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't about feeling turned on. It was more like this sense, like, this belongs. Is this why Cisco wanted to see that thong? That thong, the thong, thong, thong? I don't know. This was only a decade in the past, but nobody in my graduating class had ever heard about any spectrum, so I couldn't see the dots, let alone connect them. I figured there's a greater chance it's a man I fancy if in secret I wear panties. Makes sense why I was so antsy. Uh, maybe your upbringing was more evolved, and babies had experiences, not problems to be solved, and when your woke parents discovered you were fiddling with yourself under the covers to an array of online or fantasy lovers, they said it's normal, even healthy, just so long as you do it stealthy. Self-pleasure certainly serves its purpose, just don't whip it out during Sunday service, or plunge up to your wrist beneath your dress in front of dinner party guests. But my folks were no help at all, and when my balls dropped, they dropped the ball. Mom FedExed sex ed to dear old dad and said, Your son is looking at ladies in porno mags, so step up to the plate, please, Terry, and tell him if he masturbates, it'll make his hands hairy or something equally as scary. He didn't, though, to be fair, he did his fair share of damage to this fairy when he said to me, his little lad, that it's not bad, hey, it's okay. You can jack up all the live long day. I'm just so happy that you're not gay. Uh, carry that shit around with you, whether you're 12 or 22. My dad... He wasn't around a lot to teach me, you know, how to be a guy. But he's tried to be somebody who's provided. It's just his efforts are always a bit misguided. See, my dad suffers from gout, and when his ankles will ache, he'll light up a joint to get totally baked. Until one day, he was offered a job as a baker, where once he bought zigzags, he could start earning paper by baking pot brownies with butter that's green at the mom and pop pot shop, the local dispensary. Now, maybe he needed a fresh guinea pig, or maybe the deal isn't really that big. Sticky, icky fingers, no risk to his gig. Because he gave me a spare square of gondolaced fudge, passing it to me with a wink and a nudge, like, does this make up for missing your childhood? <laughs> yeah, sure, why hold a grudge? <laughs> I gobbled the gooey treat down in a minute without pausing to ask Dad how much weed was in it. And not even half of an hour had elapsed when the walls of reality began to collapse. <laughs> my head started swimming. I lost all sense of balance. Turns out a green thumb is one of my old man's talents. My heart hammered hurried like a horse under spur. My legs limp like pillows. My vision blurred. <laughs> 
With sweat on my lip like an outlaw at noon, I quick draw a thought. I must calm myself soon. I race to the bathroom and twist on the shower, mind numb and succumb to the THC's power. Close my eyes, let water buffet my back, feathers weight away from a full-fledged panic attack. Out through the mouth, in through the nose. I needed something to take my mind off of these woes. What could I do to lower my heart rate? What do I have at hand that could help with that? Okay, great. Where this story is going shouldn't come as a surprise. I focus and picture a pretty girl's eyes. A pert pair of eyes, if you know what I mean. Not the kind that are blue, often brown, Star Trek green. Some of you starting to see what I mean. Not the ones between ears, the ones between shoulders. The kind some girls develop as they get older that peek through their sweaters when the weather gets colder. The chest-mounted mountains that make you feel bolder want to reach out and hold her and fill you with fire so every look smolders. Breasts. (laughs) And as I picture these orbs of perfection on bare-chested friends whose names I won't mention, My blood begins pumping in a southward direction, giving me a more or less massive erection, despite the effects of the cannabis confection. But before I can start to finish, I face introspection. See, I'm still high as heck, so my mind starts to wander. Why this reductive preference for peepers, I ponder. Then I realize, my mom has big eyes, and (laughs) could it be so that the hours at her bosom as she read Go Dog Go have stirred, though I come from one of her eggs, some pseudo-Freudian urge in my genetic dregs, and that's what's causing the stiffening betwixt my legs? The thought socks my noggin like the Nagasaki bomb. Does this mean I want to have relations with my mom? Oh, no. I shudder like I've just touched a lich. My reefer mad dad is a son of a bitch. No offense, Grandma. No offense, Grandma Pat. (laughs) You know, because she's deaf. (laughs) (laughs) Though now that we've come to that, this mania for mama memories, he probably had it for you, then he passed it to me, then he dosed me with powerful chocolatey weed. I guess that makes him my sugar daddy? Uh, I'm so disturbed I might develop a tick. I decided it's time to kill that bald prick. Sure, he's tolerable enough when we're sharing some doobies, but the bastards bereft me of blind desire for boobies, and now my you-know-what is shriveled like the arms of a T-Rex because that mother shut your mouth gave me an edible complex. (laughs) (laughs) A four-minute setup for a pun, hey. (laughs) Refreshing. Took a while for me to look at that part to wear the, wear the ensemble of artists the way a ballerina wears a tutu because it seems like crappy jokes are all I'm able to do-do. <laughs> but I eventually adopted the moniker, no surprise, because of a girl. I will go on about her. By my early 20s, my luck had turned, and among the myriad other things I'd learned in Santa Barbara, the spa masquerading as a town, I found out girls like me back once I just calmed the hell down, and in my waning days by the seaside sun, I was getting along rather well with this particular one. So for the purposes of this story, I'll just call her Taz. I don't think you've met her, but just in case anyone has. Uh, Taz, short for Tasmanian Devil, because like a blonde Adam Sandler, she was destructive and I could never understand her. (laughs) We would do comedy shows together, so we had things in common, birds of a feather, She was fun and funny and usually in a good mood. And she was endowed with rather large eyes. (laughs) You know, just like mom. (laughs) Sorry, is that rude? (laughs) Oh, although she did have this one weird thing. 
she liked to eat baby food. Just the occasional jar of a fruity puree. That's a bit quirky, but okay. I'd take a Deschanel dessert over dessert at any day. We would get beers and we'd let things get weird, but we'd keep hanging out after the hangovers cleared, so I asked her if she'd like to go, steady as she goes. She said, sure, just so long as nobody knows. Guess she thought that she'd be teased if it got out she was dating not-so-little old me. Well, then consider my lips a Ziploc to go. But being stowed like leftovers in the back of a fridge whenever we were in public hurt more than a smidge, so I decided it was time for whatever we were doing to end, but told her, hey, we can still be friends. <laughs> Reversal. <laughs> After I broke things off, I went out to eat with somebody who didn't need us to be so discreet, but this breaking bread happened to be February 12th. Yes, too close to Valentine's Day, if Taz may say so herself. Oh, but how did Taz find out? That I have to mention. This is interesting. Now, pay attention. Through espionage worthy of the winter soldier, what happened was this, you see. I told her. <laughs> she texted me, where are you? And I said, on a date. And when she didn't text back, I returned to my plate. Everything felt normal. Well, for me, it felt great. I know better now, don't I? <laughs> As the next morning when I woke up and checked my phone, a chill began working its way into my bones. I had 23 unread text messages. <laughs> I wonder who the sender is. <laughs> Taz sent me a manifest. Seems like she had a lot to get off her chest, which, yeah. I asked Taz to come over so we can reach an understanding. After all, we're both adults here, Gerber jars notwithstanding. But when Taz comes over, she clams the hell up. I was expecting her to rant or throw a tantrum. Nah. I do the best that I can to explain the two of us aren't a couple. I didn't think there'd be pain. You have your piece to say. I have said mine. And she doesn't say anything. She just hands me a cardstock valentine. Kind of you get in third grade with a little cartoon? SpongeBob. I told her, I'm sure I'll see you soon. Then she hits the road, and I hit a bong, and that's when everything starts to really go wrong. My phone ignites with another incoming text, and you can probably guess what happens next. I'm afraid! I can't do an impression of her, so that's the voice. <laughs> I'm afraid! Is all it says. Okay, I'll bite. Of what? Oh, sorry. Of what? Of me! <laughs> guess this is how I'm spending my night. Go on, I say. This is about all I can stand. But I'm not of me, of the bottle that's in my hands. You're not an alcoholic. <laughs> you will be fine. Not alcohol, pills. Where'd you get pills? They're mine. What are you doing? Is this some kind of goof? Not sure. That's so like her. I thought they made those caps childproof. You sound pretty sure. Well, if you don't care, I'll take them. Don't do that. I do care. Don't be mistaken. Too late. Wasn't well, that great? All of this because I went on one dinner date. I race to her place and I knock on the door. She can scream my face off if she stays up off the floor. There's no answer. I try calling your cell phone. The same. If I go to the cops, am I who they'll blame? You know, this is just like the cave-in. You know? I have no idea what to do. I search through my contacts. I have to know somebody who can help, but who? Well, you remember my friend Megan from the Stolen Underpants? She and I went to the same uni by some happy chance. Now, she had explored and come out as bi, but I still kept quiet about what I did with guys. I don't know why. I guess I was shy. If I let fly a rainbow flag and wear a jewel or dress and drag and do the hula, 
if I commit to a label, I change the way that I'm seen, and I was afraid of what that might mean. I still hadn't made a call, even though I'd done things in that stall. And as for gender, which isn't the same, I didn't have an identity I could proclaim. I still got dressed up and stripped back down and did my face like that sad Italian clown. But I still checked mail on every form. I couldn't bring myself to break the norm. There was no better box that I could check, no more fitting label to string around my neck. I didn't know what to tell myself when I put my wig back on the shelf. I felt a lot like a half-elf, or for you sci-fi geeks like Leonard Nimoy. I was neither girl nor boy. My point is that even though Megan is my peer, she has always been more mature and more fearless, so in moments when I'm unsure and distressed, I'll turn to her. Megan, tell me you know what to do. And you might think Megan would be all, not my monkeys, not my zoo, but turns out she'd been hooking up with Taz too. I know. The real reason Taz kept our tryst undercover is so Megan and I wouldn't discover one another. But now she's lost the privilege to keep that shit private. Megan says, get in my car and I'll drive it. We're in her old Toyota she's had for ages. It's the color of the desert surrounding Las Vegas. The dusty, gold, musty, old, totally her own. It's one of the few things she brought with her from home. We're heading to the hospital to see if Taz checked herself in or if they found any ODing Jane Doe's full of Klonopin. We're driving down the 101 when, from behind some rain clouds, here comes the sun. <laughs> we see for the first time in my life, and only so far, a perfect rainbow stretching over her car. We can see where it ends. We can see where it starts. Megan slams the steering wheel and says, See? This is why I love art. Because even when your world is being torn apart and there is police brutality and neo-fascists and tiki torch-touting teens with half-assed mustaches and confederate flag-waving bumpkins and pussy-grabbing presidential pumpkins, there are still moments of beauty. There are still moments like this. The moments that make me proud to call myself an artist. That's an outfit I've never let myself adorn. <laughs> I might as well have said, well, I'm a unicorn. <laughs> it always felt like artist wasn't for me to proclaim, but something others tell me I achieve, something for which to aim. I mean, we all knew the high school guitarist who wore the guise of tortured artist and the rich folks' kids that are filling up galleries while living off their parents' salaries. I mean, doesn't art imply work that speaks to some inner truth or a deep hidden meaning that blows off the roof? And Megan says, no. I think that in order to be one, you just have to decide that you are and it's done. The being has nothing to do with the caliber. Not all pens are going to be mightier than Excalibur. Just be sure the inky sword, you're, the world you're terraforming with that inky sword is full of words worth fighting for. And if somebody else's sign-off is all that you're missing to call yourself an artist, I give you permission. We drove to the ICU parking lot and found an ICU parking spot. We shared a silent look but knew each other's thought. We were saying, I see you. All that you've got. Or at least I think that's what she was thinking. You know, she could have been thinking, don't try and kiss me, don't try and kiss me, do not try and kiss me! <laughs> Probably that. <laughs> but before we can unpack this champion's purse of joy, a nurse asks me, are you the boy? Well, yeah, but so is she! And also, no, not really, and you know what? I will just let it be. Megan went to go check in on the girl, and I finally let a flag unfurl. And she was fine, by the way. I mean, not fine. She moved to Texas, but she was alive. 
After graduation, in order to get some foreign cultural stimulation, I booked a trip to an exotic island nation. The one that's home to King's Cross Station. <laughs> it's jolly old England, is where I went abroad to hang out with this girl, Holly. Say, isn't that odd? Holly is my mom's name. Huh. I'm sure I could have gone to Beijing or Madrid, but this way I could be cultured without bothering to learn another language. I went with her to Oxford, but I did not go to study. I was just going to crash with my smoking hot buddy. Well, I say buddy, but in plain Queen's English, she was a crush. I couldn't look at that girl without an endorphin rush. I was grateful she was letting me stay at her place and thought maybe, if I played my cards right, just maybe, she would sit on my face. I've never been the pinnacle of masculinity, but now that we were overseas, you know, across the pond with the two tap sinks, hey how? <laughs> I don't know what this is. Uh, <laughs> How's about you and I get a couple of drinks? There is this weird thing in our culture that if some testosterone-fueled vulture buys a gal a glass of wine, he feels entitled to monopolize her time. In fact, lots of dudes think she owes him more. If she accepts the booze, then she's a whole mess in his debt and has a lot more to lose than if she had just agreed to, say, join him for a cup of tea. Me, personally, I think it's rather gauche. Dudes, listen up. Nothing is owed just because you shell out for a rum and coke, and even though I know this room is pretty woke... The next, well, I've got y'all here. The next time you're clutching your craft beer and beads of sweat are forming on the glass because you've just seen a pretty lass, before you ask her what's her sign or use an equally clever line, take a moment to consider before you try to, how you say, get witter by shelling out to be the highest bidder. If she got dolled up for the club, she's hotter than a lightsaber. Her look is the result of manual labor, and the cost you pay to get her wasted costs nothing compared to what the makeup on her face did. There's a reason the base is called foundation. Getting ready is itself an act of creation, like building a temple or a skyscraper, and it likewise costs considerable paper. The business model of modeling is such that for a night out, you're looking at minimum 100 bucks. So, when you tip your bartender, hoping, I hope all this is worth it, boy, you have barely scratched the surface. <laughs> Do hand her the hypnotic and Hennessy, but consider it a viewing fee. As far as I'm concerned, she doesn't even know you thanks until she's made up the cost of wearing Spanx. So I buy Holly a drink. <laughs> Not exactly what you'd think. We were at this underground club. You know the type, where the DJ lives up to neither the cover nor hype. But <laughs> let's live a little in this converted catacomb. I'm the foreigner a long, long way from home. In for a penny, hopefully in for a pound. <laughs> let's see how this night goes down. I ask Holly if she'd like to dance, six steps ahead in my mind of this burgeoning romance. With a surgeon's precision, we cut through the crowd and get lost in the music that's bumping so loud. There isn't so much tango or salsa or swing, but the sweaty meat bumping that we've dubstepped grinding. <laughs> it's a dance for which I do not care. I don't know how it is for y'all out there, but I've always thought it only fair to know a girl's middle name before you get a nose full of her mane of hair and stick more than your fair share of milk bone into her derriere. Holly's middle name is Claire, so... <laughs> We're drunk, and we're dancing, and we're having good fun, but I'm not so emboldened I place a hand on her bum. Even though I can't assume she would have been content, I'm not making a move without her explicit consent. But that doesn't mean I don't have a horse on this race. I still really want her to sit on my face. So I screw my courage to the sticking place, and I hand her a cider, hoping she'll say come home so I can come inside her. It is gross but true. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. 
We take a break, and thinking I'm clever, I go, hey, how come the two of us never got together? After all, we have tons in common. You're very pretty, and I'm... And, and we've both spent lots of time living in the same city. She gives me a look like, no, no, you know better, and I understand I am not going to bed her. Sorry, face. <laughs> Why not, I ask. What's wrong with me, setting myself up for taunts? And she says, nothing, but I like a man who takes what he wants. And she twirls off with unparalleled elegance. Elegance. <laughs> and that's not going to happen, because that isn't me. I don't believe I deserve everything that I see. Is it unmanly to think of things such as I'm not entitled to everything the light touches? But this is what's expected of men. A cliche we trot out again and again. A man has to take and provide and be a winner and bring home the bacon but make her cook the dinner. There's all this pressure, though I don't mean to whine, ladies. I know ours is much lesser. Those of us who pass for male have an easier time on 98 counts out of every 99. I'm well aware that the privilege is mine. But why would Holly want to date that kind of jerk when she can see for herself that it doesn't work? And before you start packing up and heading home, I likewise don't have time for nice guy syndrome. All these dudes who mope and groan going, Why won't she go out with me? Why must I be forever alone? <laughs> In the self-imposed so-called friend zone, dudes... The friend zone is not a thing that exists. Trust me. I used to sit on the friend zone Iron Throne. You can ask anyone I went to high school with. It is known. <laughs> I used to suffer from the same complex, thinking that because I'm nice to a person, I deserve to have sex. There's actually nothing nice about that in retrospect. Treating people, you know, like a vending machine? That's just an asshole core beneath a nice guy sheen. Putting in time so that she will put out? Brother, that's what being an asshole is all about. And don't come at me, bro, with not all men. We don't need to go over that debacle again. <laughs> if you are vexed because a roll in the hay is the reason you listen to what she has to say about her ex while you massage her, you're just a few steps away from being the next Elliot Roger. And you are no better than the chauvinists who act like chivalrous anglerfish to dangle a little glimmer of kindness to lure girls in with love's name-brand blindness because Fishman knows that once she cares, as long as he looks like Jason Momoa, he can be as rude as he dares. The gloves come off, and he's a dick. Surprise! But still, these girls will stay with these guys and keep on digging because they're convinced that deep down inside, there's a sensitive soul this serpent has to hide. Why do we give passes to dicks who've been such asses in the past? Why do we stay with the masculine once we've been behind the toxic mask? Do we think that he'll suddenly be different? That he'll somehow find some new enlightenment? If he's been a jerk once, he'll probably be one again. Where does this merry-go-round cycle begin? I've thought about it a lot, and I think I have the answer, and it's actually not men's fault. It's a much more societal cancer. See, when we were little kids... And we would play at recess. Little boy pushes little girl, gets mud on her dress. And she runs crying, screaming to mom or to dad or to teacher, hurling accusations at the mean little creature. And this authority figure, source of all that is true, will say, well, he only did it because secretly he likes you. Planting a seed that will sprout and derange until she can't get that perspective out of her brain. That the guy hurling dishes in the odd frying pan is saying, I love you the best that he can. Well, he's not reading your text because he's a jerk. He just doesn't know how to ask, how was your day at work? 
This is how the little boy who puts a frog down your front grows up to be the man who keeps calling you continually insulting names. When we spar, we perpetuate this farce we learn from dear old Mr. Darcy. You know, he, he's really trying his best to be good. The monster's just misunderstood. If you have a daughter, or think you might someday, the next time you're racking your brain for what to say because she's just run up to you in tears and you're just trying to quell her fears... I have done the work for you. I will save you the hassle. You kneel down and tell her, fuck him, baby, he's an asshole. <laughs> but don't literally, you know. <laughs> Until then, we'll hang on when the cookware goes flying or we find out our cuddle buddy has been spying or the cheater has once again saying, I'm sorry, I'm trying. It's strange, and it's true. We still keep on fighting because we have to believe that the people who hurt us have the potential to change, not just get better at lying. Oh, and if you have a little boy and you see him push the little girl and get mud on her dress, allow me to tell you what is best. Castrate him. <laughs> Usually it gets an applause break, so I'm just going to act like it. <laughs> ah, lemony fresh. After commencement and my trip to England, in order for my real life to begin, I bought a one-way ticket to an eastern land, because in New York you can be a new man. <laughs> or girl, if that's the path I chose, but hard to walk in that city in heels if you don't stay on your toes. <laughs> I could have really done myself a dram of harm. I needed a scruple of discipline, somebody to turn the screw or twist my arm, make me choose, are you a she or him? That's when I happened to meet a pro-dom. She dressed me up like one of those Bond girls, and for the record, looked nothing like my mom. <laughs> she made me a vision with a short skirt and long curls. <laughs> I thought that I'd be full metamorphosized, but when I looked in the mirror to check and see, my reflection didn't show who I am inside. No princess from a fantasy, just dressed up me. My mother's son, not a Grace or Bridget. What you wanted? She asked when she saw me fidget. To be honest, I'm not sure. I don't want to portray a caricature, but I want to feel attractive now and then, which I only seem to do when dressed in femme, and for me to feel like my skin is something I can keep living in and feel not grossed out by the flesh on my chest and inspire some sort of romantic interest? Well, what does it matter if I dress risque if it makes those feelings go away? But it doesn't. You know, what the hell is wrong with me? Am I not Belle, but actually the beast who needs a veritable feast of looks of longing, throngs of attention mongering to take all the limelight I can get? What do you think, audience? When do I get to say I've had my fill? Hell, who's to say I ever will? Who says I get a moment before I've died where I can say I'm satisfied? Knowing I'd never be content, that would be a fitting punishment. Am I just parading a fetish? If every, time, if every time I'm in a skirt, I flirt and act coquettish, am I now not a feminist? Am I enabling the patriarch dynasty? Was I just brainwashed by old man Disney? Or is all of this some sort of coping tool? Poor unfortunate soul, poor fool. I don't feel like that's right either. Do I only feel my affections accepted if my tight end is a wide receiver? Am I just trying to make my dad mad? Am I seeking praise from someone with a pretty face and in lieu of one putting on my own? I really hope that's not the case because beauty lasts about as long as my attention. And once that's passed, oh, did I mention? Assholes like the vice president think I'm in need of an intervention? 
Am I just resisting being cis? Do I want to make a full transition? Would that help me better understand my position? I've never felt like a total she, but that could be because of internalized misogyny. And what if I have progeny? Am I man enough to be a dad? That job seems hard enough as it is. Am I gay enough if I make a missus of a miz? Am I straight enough if every now and then I blow a guy or ten? Am I woman enough if I'm not taking estrogen? Am I enough? I'll ask you again. Am I enough? Because if I commit to girl mode, if I bail... I lose the privileges of being male, chief among which is security. It is so much safer looking like me. We can all agree I am food for feeding maggots if I run across some red hat who's in the mood for beating. Come here, she says, with a look so sweet. I have someone you need to meet. When I lived in Alaska, I went to this spot near the Taku, and if you take a little walk, you find a place called Sometimes a Waterfall. When it's not raining, it's just a rock wall. <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of Cliff, who also sometimes goes by Tiff. And you never know until they take their seat with whom you'll be meeting, which is kind of a treat. And I told Cliff slash Tiff what I've told you all about Craigslist and the My Size Barbie doll and Holly and Megan and Taz and Mom and all. And Cliff Tiff said it's not at all unusual. Basically, they said, raising a manicured brow, someone will always think that they're glamour than thou. Cross-dress every once in a while, the full-timers will think you've got no style, but the full-timers, too, will be told to go home by the girls who are taking replacement hormones. But it's not enough to be on HRT if you're not also saving up for surgery, and even if you are. Once you've gone home from the OR with the pretty parts to match your pretty face and pretty heart, there's still a tribe that'll say you're the wrong kind of trans, now you're on the other side. My advice is just enjoy the ride. The moral's simple, but it's true. Be brave, be kind, and you do you. That's it? That's it. That's not so profound, but that's the answer that I found. It's strange, but also I think it's true. I needed to hear that from you. I think sometimes we all need permission. And what is more, we need it given by someone who's anyone other than us. You know, a bearded guru or a lady on a magic school bus who reminds us that we're all on a colorful spectrum. And if people reject you, feel free to reject them. Find the balance that works for you. That's what happy people do. It's helped me. Not, you know, overnight. But slowly I've come into the light. I also got the courage to let some loved ones see that boy and girl are both just parts of me. It's like that song by Getty Lee. If you don't fit in with girls or boys, you can choose not to decide and still have made a choice. I have aspects of the divine her and the holy him, so when people refer to me, I prefer they slash them. When I came out to my mom with phone in hand, I was pretty sure she would understand because she told me way back when I was 17 that she had seen hidden in my room Megan's gray-green undies and had told me, you can talk to me about anything, honey, but because back then I was so ashamed, the two of us agreed to feign ignorance about the whole event. If I had taken her up on her offer to vent, I could have saved myself years of torment. It was surprisingly easy to make the call and say, Mom, turns out I'm not your son after all. Now, no. Yeah, 26 hours, I know. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not your son or daughter. The thing that I am is genderqueer. It's a word I learned out here. Queer is the umbrella term. That means I still have room to grow and learn and reserve the right to change my mind should I wake up one day and find that all of this was just a lifelong phase. And I shall wear no more makeup for all my days, but I'll wait a bit before I get rid of it because this is some expensive shit. <laughs> 
Queer, for me, also means I like girls and boys and others. How to explain this to my mother. While we're oversharing, Holly, I might as well tell you that I'm poly. You know, polyamory. Vis-a-vis my bounties boundless as the sea. New age concept. But even if I have just the one girlfriend or wife, it doesn't change who I am at day's end or at the end of my life. Like, if after the show I go out and murder someone, I'm still a murderer in the next morning sun. And I could kill again, you know? (laughs) We'll wait and see. I'm prone to go on killing sprees, except I don't strangle. I'm the one who chokes. (laughs) Still able to fit in one last dick joke. I am so lucky that with my family, there is no cause for concern because that is not the case across the board when LGBT plus kids are at best ignored by ignorant parental figures and at the worst, at the receiving end of triggers. If you want to do something to help their situation, I urge you to look up the Trevor Project. No relation. Because love can overcome fear. I know I have barely scratched the surface here, but I hope at the very least I've planted a seed and that you can be there for someone in need, or at the very least you'll intercede when someone tries to say where someone else can pee. Or if you were in any kind of closet, I hope that you've been freed by hearing how I both wear women's weeds and get suited up like Ganymede. If you, like me, just needed permission, allow me to fulfill a personal mission. It doesn't matter. The clothes in your trunk weren't designed for someone with your junk in mind. Or if you like putting liner around your eyes, or only feeling your own skin in latex thigh highs, or like letting guys ram your colon like semis. Dell. (laughs) Go forth and hold these three things true. Be brave. Be kind, and you do you. (laughs) And before I let you all go home, I believe a round of thanks is owed, because representation is necessary to make the wide world feel less scary. So here's to the artists that I have known, the gurus on my midnight radio. Here's to Hedwig and Eddie, Laverne, Laura, Rue, and all of you. And here's to me. And if ever we should disagree... Screw yourselves. Here's to me. (laughs) Thank you very much, Bellingham! Thank you, strangely, for having us. Thank you, the Phillipses. I'm going to put this down now because I I think we're done. Is that done? Sounds like that. One more time for for Trevor. So that was Clownfish. I was staggered the first time I heard the show. It was an incredible piece of work to get to not only see a show that is that emotionally impactful and personal, but also really funny. And also the whole thing rhymes. Uh, (laughs) Trevor and I don't really talk about it in the interview you're about to hear, but this show is actually Trevor's very first hour long show. Trevor has done stand up for a number of years, but this is Trevor's first full fringe show and I think that sort of speaks to why it is so freaking ambitious. It's the kind of work that only someone who's never been told they couldn't do that sort of thing would do. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing to just see somebody dive in headfirst and go, well, no one said this wouldn't work, so why not go for it? <laughs> I have one other comment I wanted to make before I play my interview with Trevor for all of you folks. It's... Uh, I started this podcast in the hopes of finding, you know, voices and artists that I wasn't familiar with. 
and because you know so much of popular culture is dominated by straight white male voices and you know i just always want to broaden my horizons not only you know with entertainment but also with science and culture and all kinds of things and i think it's very telling that when i have a non-binary trans person on this show and i ask them to recommend artists or art that they are inspired by and that they like the first things that jump to their mind are straight white men because the industry is so dominated by them that that's just what's there i i just found that really fascinating that's not a dig at trevor at all that's just a comment on our cultural landscape as a whole that these are the things that we watch and this is what's out there and that's why i'm so happy that you folks got to hear clownfish anyway enough uh rambling from me here's my interview with trevor i hope you folks enjoy it and thank you so much for listening. I am sitting here with my friend Trevor Daniel Wade. They have just performed the show that you just heard, and we're going to chat about it now. So thank you so much for coming to Sonic Suitcase Studio and doing your show and being on my podcast, Trevor. It's amazing. Thank you so much for having me, strangely. So generally, I start episodes of this podcast by introducing the guest and sort of explaining a little bit about what they do and sort of their thing. The audience has just heard what you do. And need an explanation now more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, what do you have to say for yourself? But I guess the first thing I would get, I would I would want to ask, and I wanted to ask as soon as I saw you perform for the first time, is what do you call what you do? Because it comes across like stand-up comedy, and yet it's not. It, yeah, it isn't. It's a little blend of stand-up comedy, storytelling. Some would say poetry. I say pretty well-organized words. Um, and I've been trying to figure that out on this tour that we have been doing. Uh, and I think the very dumb word that I found for it is cometry. <laughs> because it's a little comedy, a little poetry, but mostly it's stellar. I hate, I hate it. I hate it a lot. It's I'm glad the, you hate it too. <laughs> it's the worst. But no, I don't really. I, I somebody uh, came up to me earlier today while I was hanging out uh, by the water, uh-huh. and was like, "Oh, so what do you do?" And I was like, "I talk at people in a clever way." <laughs> I don't know. I bare my soul, but I give it shiny armor. <laughs> yeah, that is like it's amazing to me still, even though like I am a performer and I you know, do all these cabaret shows and comedy and all that, that there are people like there's a significant portion of the living population today who makes their living just talking mm-hmm. at people about whatever. Like, obviously it's structured in their bits and there's a craft to it, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's just talking about whatever. Yeah. Now, obviously you have a, a little bit more structure and the, the show is insane. Like, I the first time I saw you perform I caught like the last 10 minutes of the show and I was just like the level of memorization and the the fact that all these lines rhyme what mad genius came up with this and my first reaction to you was like this is clearly someone who's been doing this for like probably about a decade and has like finally mastered this craft of this like rhymy storytelling stand-up thing and yet you this is your first show yeah. Like first hour show. This is my first hour. So what 
like forgive me, but like what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> It's just like not, that doesn't seem like a, a good idea. No, it wasn't. It still isn't. It has yet to become a good idea. It's just an idea that I committed to. Uh huh. It's not my soulmate idea. It's right. just, it, we went to high school together and <laughs> it was comfortable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to have a thing that was distinct and that was like very much my own. Mm-hmm. And when people thought of me, they would be like, oh, right, that thing. Um, and, I, I have a Shakespeare background and I was looking over the stories that I've been telling already. And I was like, well, Shakespeare started out writing verse. I could be like Shakespeare. <laughs> it's that dumb. <laughs> it's actually dumber than that. Cause it's Shakespeare mixed with Hamilton. Right. I mean, we, we are in, I think in some ways in an age of like a new Renaissance of like rhyming verse and mm-hmm. rhyming couplets and things like that because of Hamilton, but also because of hip hop. Yes. Like these, the idea of crafting words that end in sentences that have the same sound is a thing that is, you're starting to see a lot of it around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll murder you. I, and your body will never be found. It's going to be, oh, <laughs> bury me somewhere out there in the ground. Like we can do this all podcast and I'm going to break the re- meter now so that this isn't the game anymore. <laughs> It was difficult, though. I know. I, I know. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it is funny. Like the, the first time I saw your show, I walked around for the next week, like coming up with rhyming couplets for everything I said. You're lucky I didn't have your phone number at the time. It's just like the text that I would send to people uh-huh. after working on the show oh, and, yeah. in, in the writing process. I would you know put it away and then people would text me like, hey, what are you up to? And just like sending them whatever I was doing in rhyme. I'm sure is cute once. It didn't happen once, though. So, so did you write it in rhyme? Like, did you kind of start at the beginning, or were you like, "These are the five stories I want to tell," and you came up with rhymes for them? Like, how much of it was written in order? I guess is what I'm curious about. Sure, yeah. I mean, I had the I had the stories because they're real, and uh-huh. I knew that I wanted to tell. I had been telling those stories mostly on their own in various ways, shapes, and forms for a few years, and. I came up with the part of the prologue, um, the uh, and manufactured one night stands, but I'll table those tales for your sake. I was like, that's a fine little like turn of phrase. I was like, now nah, the story I tell is faux or fake. That's also fun. And just like looking at the words faux and fake next to each other makes me go, hmm. It's a nice little niblet of English. So I had that much, and I was like, well, that sounds like an introduction to a show that rhymes. And I already have this material instead of creating a whole brand new show that rhymes about something. I'll take these stories that I've already been telling and start to turn them into rhymes. And then it was kind of like putting not puzzle pieces in order, but like, you know, like in a Final Fantasy game, you have to find like the right sequence of like etchings to touch. So they, they glow and then that yes. opens up the portal. Um it was a matter of like, okay, this bit should go here and then I'll call back here. Like, do we tease the ending? And then circle back to it, or do we just build to it? Um, so that was uh, most of once I had them like those stories restructured into rhyme. Putting the show together was a matter of making sure they went in the right order, and then smoothing out the seams. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if there's a word for the kind of of rhyming dialogue that you're doing. Uh, the the opening narration prologue of the film The Brothers Bloom. Have you have you seen that? Not recently. 
it's delivered in the same way where the, the narrator will will be speaking and uh, and then a character will finish the line to complete the rhyme in the meter. Oh, cool. Like, so, it'll, you know, it'll, um, I don't know where we are, said Bloom as he stepped into the darkened room kind of a thing. So it's like multiple voices carry on that poem. But that idea of, of having quoted dialogue and scenes and things like it's not the, the show is not a monologue in the sense that you are telling one story beginning to end. You're you're saying you're you're verbatim quoting people at points mm-hmm. and you're referencing things and you're you're like you said, you're giving callbacks. So there's a lot of things that are happening in quotes and yet it's not difficult to follow. It's not stream of consciousness. Okay. Yeah, I'm very much not uh, Spalding Gray. <laughs> Is this a show that you're going to keep touring around a lot? Or is this something that like you kind of, you see an end point where you have done what you want to do with the show and you're ready to start working on the next? I think, yes. Um, I certainly want to tour the show more. I think I'm going to reach out more to like fringe festivals because Mm -hmm. I'm finding it does really well in a venue where people are expecting theatricality Mm -hmm. and they're kind of seasoned for that bringing it in on its own to like a comedy venue kind of throws people off guard, which sometimes is great because yay shatter your expectations. Yeah. But sometimes it's, you know, a little bit like running up a slide in socks. Like I have to work really hard at the beginning to get the traction that I need. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I still might slip and fall. Um, So while I enjoy thinking of myself as a comedian and like all of the kind of trappings that go with that, this show in particular, I know does better somewhere in between a theater and a comedy club. Where you don't have to spend 100% of the energy to create the atmosphere. Yeah. Where I can just kind of like get into it and people are already on board rather than having that readjustment of being like, this doesn't sound conversational. Oh, it's very like this. This isn't just a person like making quippy observations. They're not going to call me out for my t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Like this is something else. If I have the full hour, usually I can get people and it twists and change. But because of the nature of the show you just heard, uh, it's not a comedy all the way through. It's more like I get you in with the comedy and then now that I've got you, I break your heart. Hopefully. <laughs> like kindly. In a positive way. The way you break a bone and reset it. But the, I think that's that, that classic thing that if we can laugh together, we can connect. Yeah. Because what your show is talking about is something that in this day and age is kind of a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Oddly so, because I, I feel like people are just people. I don't know why people being people is so weird, but that's me. But yet it is for a lot of folks. And yet I feel like you present it with such humanity and grace. And it's so personal that it becomes something that can be easily accessed by people even sort of outside of the normal sphere of folks who are cheerleading for people who identify as non-binary and use they, them pronouns and things like that. Was that part of your intention in making this show or was it more of just something like this is in me, I have to get it out of me or I will explode. It was definitely part of my intention. I wanted to, I like, I knew this part of myself was there and now, well, it's, it's still fairly like my identity is as malleable as anyone else's. Um, at the time of conceiving the show, I was like, I need to express this to people, but like, I didn't want to do a Ted talk. Like I didn't want to lecture people and be like, so this is what 
non-binaryism is to me. This is what like they them pronouns are. This is how you go down on a woman. Like all of these various <laughs> things I want to educate the general populace about. Um, but I also knew, you know, like laughter is the sugar that helps the medicine go down, not necessarily the medicine. Mm-hmm. But if I could be like, here's the thing I'm teaching you, but I'm not teaching you. I'm like doing a, I'm entertaining you and you're learning tangentially. Yeah. Well, and also you, there's no point in the show where you in any way claim to speak or even you are very good at leaving no opening to be perceived as speaking on behalf of anybody but yourself. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> that at least that is my read yeah. on the show. You know, you you definitely point in some directions of like, you know, go look at this or engage with this. There's definitely a tendency in this day and age to look at an individual as being representative of their entire mm-hmm. group. So oftentimes someone will encounter a non-binary person who is a dick because some people are just dicks regardless of gender. It's true. Regardless of gender. (laughs) Unfortunately, nowadays there are more than two genders that can be dicks Mm -hmm. or, or assholes. I think we were talking about, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Asshole is gender neutral and it's still like equals jerkishness. I I just feel like there's a higher quotient of, uh, of assholes who have dicks, but that's, that's maybe that's correlation, not causation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it's like some someone will meet a non-binary person who is an asshole. Uh, I've learned something today, and uh, <laughs> and and then they will just in their mind it'll be like all non-binary people are assholes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's I think it's a lot of so why I sign off on that. <laughs> why there's a lot of that, you know, like there's very stereotypical portrayals of gay people in a lot of uh, cinema. Sure, is I think. You know, a lot of screenwriters know one gay person. Right. Or... And it's the same one. Yeah. They all know Trevor. Like, they all know the same gay person. This is what it is. And it's just different... It's like different uh, perspectives on the same sculpture. And Yeah. And it's like they all see a a person as like... You know, they all know Trevor. They all know Steven. They all know Archie or something. It's all that same... And they don't know any women. And we know this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because look at Hollywood. Oh my God! Uh, pause for annoyance. All right, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but it, you know, you don't speak on behalf of anyone else, and I think that actually makes your message so much more powerful. Because so often in today's day and age, where people are trying to speak about gender or race or whatever, they they're attempting to draw from wider sources to give what they're saying more impact but i feel like it dilutes the personal experience which i think is actually the most powerful way to communicate some of these deeper topics is just like what happened to you Mm -hmm. you know they say write what you know and people so often are not writing what they know they're writing what somebody else knows and it just becomes that game of telephone that's just not yeah and dilutes and warps and i never wanted to appear as if i was becoming the poster child for or like not even the poster but like the mascot mm-hmm. for any community because so often i'm dealing with my own version of imposter syndrome where i'm like i'm when i'm presenting just generally in the world i'm like am i being non-binary enough like i was like thinking um uh you were talking about uh the folks that we were having dinner with last night mm-hmm. not knowing any like non-binary people and wanting to like ask in an interview. I was like, ah, oh, should I put on like makeup so that it's more apparent so that like people will mm-hmm. ask? Um, 
like if I'm going through the war, like, if I'm going through the war, if I'm going through the world, not in any kind of uniform, um, am I still like contributing to the cause? So for my show, I was already like, I know I'm not going to be able to speak to a community and be like, oh, I have represented all our voices. You know, I'll be the Occupy Wall Street of non-binary people. Yeah. Um, but I also knew just from my own damn self, like I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be like the queer comedian. I wanted to be the comedian. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I want, uh, it's like Zeke Smith in survivor it was like, I didn't want to be the trans survivor player. I wanted to be Zeke, the survivor player. And I love that idea because I don't want to feel like, especially in, in when I'm having the issue of, do I present queer enough? I don't want to like steal the scholarship money from anybody who needs it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that feeling like it's so strange to me that there are some terms that are gendered, like one man show Mm -hmm. is such a gendered term, but anything that I've ever done has not been affected by my gender Mm -hmm. in that way. I mean, it is because I'm a person who exists and whatever and, you know, did it for you and any other performer, but it's always interesting that there are some people it's very important to them to be like, this is a one woman show. This is a one man show. This is a a solo show or anything like that. And that is that weird thing that we run up against as performers that we are using our identity as branding Mm -hmm. in some ways. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to hear you sort of talk about this process because it's not just that you are you with your identity, but you've actually written a whole show about your identity. Yeah. So in some senses, even though you don't want to brand with your identity, I kind of have to. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like this show is deeply personal and uh, to the point where I'm kind of like, oh, can I ever do anything this like poignant and heartfelt again? And like when my dad kills over. Um, <laughs> but like uh, this sense of I don't like, you know, what I just said, I don't want to be like the queer comedian getting in and being like, come see the venue because I'm queer. But there are some shows that have only booked me because I'm doing a queer show. Mm-hmm. And I did those shows. I'm not going to be like, well, no, no, save it for somebody who's really queer because I am. So it's it's this struggle uh, for feeling like my own identity is matching up to people's perception of my identity. And in my own show, and this has come up on this tour multiple times, but in my own show, I, like the, the thesis statement, the moral that we uh, bring up to is don't fucking worry about it so much. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy the ride. And I have to remind myself that the more I do the show, the more I'm reminding myself, oh, right, I can just do it and be and then move on and fail. <laughs> Speaking of failure, like, have you brought the show to a place where it's just like completely not worked? And, you know, because you're locked in with certain dialogue, you know, you find yourself, you know, a third of the way through, halfway through something like that. And you're like, oh, God, like, I still have to. Yeah, um, portions of it. Uh, when we were in Minnesota, I was, you know, trundling through the first part of it, which is the kind of that like lure you in if you're not queer, not nightmare, where I'm talking about like blowing a guy for the first time. And it's, you know, it's a bunch of dick jokes kind of mm-hmm. in a row. And then after that, I move on to uh, cunnilingus and kind of even the odds. Um, but 
I'm watching these like middle-aged white folks in Minnesota, like really not enjoying it, but I can't skip any part of this. Like in traditional standup, you can cut bits, you can move stuff around, you can jump to new topics, do whatever. My show has to be done in order or it doesn't build to its climax because I like roll everything together and call it all back and then tie it up and say goodnight. So as I'm watching a couple of times, people like really not like arms crossing. Like uh, there was a woman in New Orleans who put her uh, index finger and thumb in her tear ducts and just held her head for my entire show. Like pretty much once it got out that I was not, Ellen DeGeneres. She was like, oh, never mind. I'm uninterested. And just did this for the whole show. And I like couldn't focus on that because then that would derail. I like I have a very set number of minutes to do the show and then I have yeah. to get out of there. But like watching that, I'm just like crumbling inside, being like, I've made a huge mistake. This is not like I've left my home, I left the nest, and now nobody loves and supports me anymore. Um so yeah, it's terrifying. I think about it constantly. <laughs> I mean, that exact experience that you're describing with that woman being like, oh, God, you know, mm-hmm. that is exactly why the opening number of like my accordion show is like, do you want this or not? Like, yeah, it's going to be this for the next hour. If you don't like that, this is your opportunity to leave. No judgment. I just I don't want you in here. Yeah, I am. I am too old and I've been doing this for too long to like do it to someone who doesn't want it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like consensual rowdy accordion party sometimes. <laughs> That is, that's, that's how it is. And I love that about your show. And I'm thinking in the next one, I'll probably build in a moment of that where it's going to be like, Hey, I'm going to be talking mostly about like sex and gender because that's what fascinates me. (laughs) So if that's not your cup of tea, it's a two drink minimum, but like just do two shots and then leave (laughs) Uh, and then drive safe. (laughs) One of the reasons I started this podcast was I was seeking to step outside my comfort zone and engage with art and artists that I wouldn't normally be aware of. Do you have any recommendations for me and my listening audience of things that maybe inspired you or just things that you want to shine a light on to oh, get other people to take a look at? God, I mean, if you had asked me yesterday, I would have made a list. Um, have you heard of the Broadway musical Hamilton? <laughs> um I'll give you two. Two of my like favorite stand-up specials that are by white men. I'm sorry. They just dominate the market. Um, that inspired me to look at comedy as a piece of theater and mm-hmm. be something that you can actually like do with a storytelling element to it um, is Christopher Titus's Norman Rockwell is Bleeding, mm-hmm. which is an hour sh- and change show about uh, uh, dysfunction and um, suicide. Um, and... Chris Gethard's Lose Well, or not Lose Well, um, that's his book, uh, uh, Career Suicide, which is also about suicide and alcoholism and dysfunction. Um, I think I found the next show. Uh, so those are two uh, pieces that I I go to again. They don't rhyme at all, uh-huh. um, except Chris's does actually a little bit in the middle. Um, but they're just both like very personal stories, and they're two people laughing and making light of the hardest times in their lives. And... Like my show in particular, like when I was going up to the Davidson library in the elevator to like go blow some dude, I wasn't feeling like this will be a great story later. I was like heart pounding in my sleeves. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Adrenaline flooding my system. 
That's why I remember it so well. Uh-huh. It's because my system was completely trained to be like, hey, I hope you don't do this again. And then I did. Um, I mean, just in general, other pieces of like art and stories that you can check out and mm-hmm. just anything. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Pigpen Theater Company. If anybody's uh, listening now is in the San Diego area, or they're usually based out of New York, mm-hmm. they're uh, instrumentalists and uh, storytellers, and they do like poor theater, but they do music incorporated in it very well. Uh, I'm writing a book based on the Cloud Cult album Light Chasers that I really enjoy. Um, my friend Kalijah just put out a single called Mile High. That's mm-hmm. very, very good. And How do you spell that, Kalijah? K-A-L-Y-J-A. And right. her last name is Rain, like the weather pattern, not the sovereignty. <laughs> or the like way you control a horse. Yes. No, it's, it, yes, it is not like that. Not that either. Um, check out uh, Millennials vs. Gen X of Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> to get to know Zeke Smith, best player of all time. Uh-huh. Uh, we already mentioned that you know the Final Fantasy series. Yep. Um, I like D&D 5th edition. I didn't play any of the earlier versions. This is what I'm cutting my teeth on. I have a podcast where I play through it with one person. It's called Single Player Dungeons and Dragons. Um, shouldn't plug my own shit when you're asking about inspiration. No, that's, that's totally fine. You know... <laughs> It's it's not just about what inspires you. It's about opening up me and my listeners to like things you haven't heard of before. Mm-hmm. So you know, as we're kind of getting to the end of this and, and wrapping up. So, what is your stuff that you want to plug? They've just heard your show. People yes. want to like they want more Trevor, or they want to know what websites to never type in. I don't know one of the sure one, one of the two. So, like, yeah, wait, can you like block? Your, yeah, like, do a, a memento type of block mm-hmm. through your Google. Um, well, my website has uh, two URLs because I have a problem with branding my own identity as I have a problem with my own identity. Uh-huh. Uh, v has words, V like the number, mm-hmm. and uh, tdwade.com both get you to the same place. Okay. Uh, that is going to have, that has my like newsletter sign up so that when I do another uh, 50 state tour next year, uh, <laughs> we can... Uh, do that announcement there. Um, I'm going to put up a link to sell the t-shirts that I didn't sell uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> going around the country, um, as well as some videos through YouTube. Um, the podcast and like writing samples and stuff are all also going to be up on there. So that's mostly where you can go to find out stuff about me. I don't really know what my next step is. I was just on the phone with my mom. And they're like, what are they going to do next? Actually, she said, what is he going to do next? And I was like, they. She went, right, damn it. Um, uh, and I don't know. I'm going to work. I think the next show that I'm going to be working on in the same vein, I don't know if it'll rhyme. I'm not sure how much I still hate myself. Um, is probably going to be about, like, not just my own personal, but what do I observe that humanity distinguishes between masculine and feminine? Uh-huh. Like, and things that are traditionally masculine. So if you want to do this to start rhyming now, um, like high heels, for example, high heels came into fashion because of the court of Louis, the whoever the fuck 14th, the sun King. There you go. Um, and France. So like, how did that switch? And uh-huh. like, uh, I just saw uh, the favorite and they're all wearing like makeup in Edwardian England and none of the women are. So how did that switch? 
why do women shave their legs? It turns out it's from a razor uh, propaganda because they weren't selling enough razors just to men. So they're like, how do we get women involved? Make them shave it all. So uh, all of that is going to be kind of the next show. I'm calling the next show Everything Abridged. So uh, that's what's next. Yeah, as if what you just did was not ambitious enough. Everything Abridged. Oh, you always got to top yourself. Right, right. Because if you don't top yourself, who's going (laughs) to... Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. I can't wait to check in with you after I hear the next show. Oh, it's going to be fun. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is produced by me, Strangely, at Sonic Suitcase Studios in fiscally responsible, fairly fine, brick-lined Fairhaven, Washington. Sonic Suitcase Studios is located in the Morgan Block building at 1000 Harris Avenue. That's also my address. If you'd like to send me something in the mail, you can do so to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington, 98225. As always, this presentation is sponsored by my incredible patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, you could head over to patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can help support me making more of whatever this is. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. And we're out. There's one last thing we gotta do. Oh, fuck. At the end of every episode, I ask the guest to tell a joke. Do you have a joke for us? One of mine? Just any joke. I have one that doesn't work in a podcast at all. Oh, go for it. Okay. Oh, we were... Yeah, okay. we're, still, we're still rolling. Good, good, good. Okay. Uh, did you hear the one about the no-armed fisherman? He got a fish that was this big. Uh, for those of you who would like to know what the heck just happened, please go check out my Instagram. It's at I am strangely. I will see you all soon. I'm going to defenestrate Trevor out of my office. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show, Trevor. I love you. I'm glad you still don't regret it after that joke. I'm a professional comedian. That's the best I could come up with. Good night, everyone.